If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of Proverbs, and you can go to chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. This will be the last sermon, both of 2017 and also of our series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, This has been uh, a shorter series. It's been often interrupted. It's been a little bit different than most of the book studies that we've done, but it's been good to go through this book um, thematically and to think about some of these things. Um, For the next two Sundays, so the 7th and the 14th, Joshua is going to be preaching. I'm not sure what he's preaching on yet. He might not even be sure what he's preaching on yet, but he will be preaching for us uh, the next two Sundays. Um, That will give me a chance. The next thing that we're hopefully going to tackle uh, will be the book of Acts. And so that'll give me a chance to try to get my head around the 28 chapters of the book of Acts as we step into that. Um, so you can pray for me and pray for Joshua as we prepare um, for those uh, times of preaching. Um, so we're going to end our series in the book of Proverbs. There's obviously more wisdom to be gained from the book of Proverbs than what we've looked at. Um, in fact, there's a lifetime's worth of wisdom for every stage of life. And my hope is that this series, even though it's short, in some ways would just sort of either um, renew your familiarity with the book or give you a new familiarity with the book of Proverbs, a new love for this book, and a new love for the wisdom that God's given us through the book of Proverbs. Uh, Maybe you want to continue even into the new year that practice of reading a proverb each day um, of the month, and that would take you through this book Uh, 12 times in a year. It wouldn't be a bad practice to hear the words of Proverbs throughout our days uh, in 2018. My original plan was to go through this book one more time and to try to find another theme, um, something that would serve us well as we head into the new year. So maybe some Proverbs thinking about time or maybe just um, some wise counsel heading into a new year. Uh, But I, I was reading through the book again and I started to wonder if I was just a little too subjective in that practice? Am I going to just sort of find the Proverbs that stand out to me at my station in life? Is there going to be a little bit too much Andy in that sort of approach? Um, And so as I was wrestling with that, I was reading through the book of Proverbs and came to chapter 9 and just felt that this was, felt led that this to be the, the, the last thing that we look at, the sort of final call that we have as we close out this series in the book of Proverbs at this particular time. Um, And so my hope is that this is sort of the final call that would be ringing in our ears as we ring in the new year. Um, If you recall the the simple structure of Proverbs that we looked at right at the very beginning, this is back in October, you remember that chapters 1 through 9 are the wisdom of a father to a son. Different topics that usually cover a a whole chapter, uh, various themes that the, the father is teaching his son all this wisdom. And then in chapters 10 through 31, for the most part, these are general Proverbs, um, usually occupying about one verse. So Proverbs 9 is kind of a bridge. It closes out those first nine chapters of of fatherly wisdom, and it leads us into this section, this second section about uh, of individual Proverbs. And it sort of sets the tone for those 22 chapters that are going to follow. Um, In its 18 verses, Wisdom and folly are personified, meaning that that Solomon represents wisdom and foolishness as two different women. These two women then call out to us as the readers of this book. They call to us and they tell us to follow them, to come to their house. And through these two calls, God in his word is saying this to us. He says, don't 
follow folly. Listen to the life-giving voice of wisdom. That could be a theme for the whole book of Proverbs, but it's certainly of this chapter, chapter 9. Don't follow folly. Listen to the life-giving voice of wisdom. When you drive towards Smoky Mountain National Park, at least in my experience, especially if you're coming from this general area, you're coming from this from Louisville or when I was a kid and we'd come from Ohio, we'd always come through the city of, of Pigeon Forge. And sometimes we'd come through maybe even Gatlinburg, a small town there, just before you arrive in Smoky Mountain National Park itself. And along that route uh, in Pigeon Forge there, Forge, there are attractions that are all calling out for your attention. Um, ironically, the reason that national parks were created was to keep those areas from becoming what Pigeon Forge is it's it's unique but they're all calling out for your attention there's pancake houses and there's mini golf courses and there are arcades there's a giant replica of the titanic there is indoor skydiving i remember when i was a kid bungee jumping was the craze and there were like at least 15 places you could go bungee jumping Um, the dixie stampedes there ripley's believe it or not all these things are there Now, maybe that's what you love about that area. You love these attractions, and I'm not going to argue with you. But as a child, I remember I wanted my parents to stop at everything that was on the side of the road. I thought this all looked so cool. But now, having grown a little bit older, I want to drive past them all, and my kids all want to stop at the things that are there. And I want to get to the park. I want to get to the the mountains and to the to the streams and to the to the woods. I want to go to the real waterfall, not the waterfall that's at the miniature golf course. Um, I want to see what's real. The attractions, they're attractive, and something still in me wants to, to be detoured. But when I am, I always find that it's less satisfying. Wisdom says don't listen to the billboards. It says don't be sidetracked. Get to the real thing. Get to the mountains. I think in a similar similar way to that, Proverbs is saying, don't follow folly. Listen to the life-giving voice of wisdom. We're constantly being called in the direction of wisdom's house or folly's house. That's been the case for the past 365 days. And as we enter 2018, there will again be voices calling out to us. And every voice that's calling out to us is either the voice of wisdom or it's the voice of folly. And Proverbs 9 says, don't listen to the voice of folly. Listen to the life-giving voice of wisdom. The problem, though, is that we have trouble discerning who actually it is that's, that's calling out to us. We're not sure who to follow because we have trouble knowing the difference between folly's voice and wisdom's voice. Or, or we, get, we forget where folly leads and we forget that, that wisdom leads to life. So we need God's word. It's profitable. God's word is profitable. It's profitable for teaching, showing us the way of wisdom. It's profitable for reproof, revealing where we have failed. It's profitable for correction, showing us how to return to God's path. And it's also profitable for training in righteousness, that helping us to stay on the path of life. Proverbs helps us discern what is real and what is true, what, what wisdom is. And it helps us to discern what is fake and what is false, what folly is. And Proverbs 9 calls us to this lifelong task of discerning the voice of wisdom from the voice of folly. I want to read chapter 9, but a few notes before we do. If you look 
at this chapter, um, it can be broken up into two or three different parts. Uh, if you have an ESV, it's probably in, in three different paragraphs. Um, you see in verses 1 through 6, we're going to see wisdom personified. And then in verses 13 through 18, there's a set of, of very parallel verses where folly is personified. And then verses 7 through 12 are in the middle there. The first three verses there have a contrast between um, the those who would reject instruction and those who would receive instruction. And it also talks about the fruits of wisdom and folly. And then right in the middle there in verse 10, we have this instruction, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, which forms a bookend to chapter 1, which begins with that. And chapter 9 ends with that. And it's right here in the middle reminding us that that's the key part of, of what wisdom is. Um, you might say that verses 1 through 6 are wisdom speaking and then verses 13 through 18 are folly speaking. It may be that wisdom is still talking. You can see that in verse 11 because it says, for by me your days will be multiplied. That's probably wisdom still talking, but it's still helpful, I think, to look at verses 1 through 6 in contrast to 13 to 18 and then that middle section there. So kind of noting the structure, hopefully that's a little bit helpful as we jump into this, maybe for the first time for um, for, for some of us to read through this chapter. But Proverbs chapter 9 Look with me. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Proverbs often talks about wisdom and folly as two different paths that we might take. So Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Then in contrast, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Here in Proverbs 9, we're not given two paths, but rather we are invited to two different parties at two different households hosted by two different women. We might imagine a town. Or maybe, at least in my mind's eye, I imagine a, a city street. And on one side of the, the street is Lady Wisdom's house. And on the other side of the street is Woman Folly's house. And both are hosting a gathering. Both are, are having a party. 
and everyone in the town is invited to go to one of their houses for one of their parties. That's the picture I think that Solomon is painting here for us and for his son. Maybe you've had that experience. You've been so fortunate as to have been invited to two parties on the same evening. Maybe some New Year's Eve, present or past. And you have to decide which party you're going to go to. So you have to decide, where do I want to be at? Where are my friends going to be at? Does this work well in my schedule? Who has the better food that I want to go and eat? And if in life, we have to decide too, are we going to go to Wisdom's house for the party that is there, or are we going to go to Follies? Well, think about the parties. I think that's what Solomon wants us to do. He wants us to consider which house do you want to go to. Let's look first at Lady Wisdom's house, or you might say Lady Wisdom's party. Lady Wisdom's gathering is is hosted in her home, and it's described for us there in in verse 1. It's a house that she has built. She is the, the founder of it, and it's a large house. It has seven pillars throughout it. Um, I think it would be impossible to say what the pillars represent and that they probably aren't meant to represent concepts. If anything, they symbolize perfection. Um, but they're also, I think, me- meant to symbolize that her house is expansive, that it is, it's a large house. Now, when I thought about these pillars, the first thing I thought about were something like the iconic four pillars on the front of the White House that are right in the front there. But these pillars are probably within the house, meaning that they, they allow the house to be a large house with a big open space for everyone to gather. It's wide. It's, it's spacious. There's room for anyone who wants to come can come into Wisdom's house. The invitation to Wisdom is open to everyone. Anyone can come. Anyone can come and partake in wisdom's feast. You can imagine maybe walking through the doors, and if you had walked through the doors, you would find that there's this large table that has been set. You see this in verse 2 and verse 3. The, the table is, is, is set for us, and on this large table there's meat, and there is wine, there is rich food, there is rich drink, and it's ready to be consumed, it's cooked, it's ready to eat. The table is beautifully set, but, but maybe not so beautifully set that you, know, you don't know which fork to use. It's beautiful, but you want to draw a chair up to this table. It's a place that we all want to go and we all feel comfortable to be in. So picture this. Can you see the, the beautiful room? Do you see the, the table that is, that is set? The preparations have been made. The, the food has been spread out. It's a place of warmth. It's a place of peace and rest and celebration. There are riches. There's prosperity. It's a place of welcome, a place of encouragement, a place of life. Having made these preparations, wisdom sends out her young women, we're told in verse 3. She sends them to the, the highest places in town, to the places where the most people will hear this invitation. She sends this large group of women to the place where everyone will be made aware of the opportunity that they have to come to her home because everyone is invited. Anyone can come. Wisdom is available to all. It's available to you. It's available to me. We all have the opportunity to go into Wisdom's house and to learn from her. But the invitation specifically goes to who in verse 4? Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. She sends out this invitation and it goes to the simple. It goes to those who have no sense. Imagine that. 
I mean, I, you look at this party, the beauty and the richness of the party. This is the kind of party that, that kings and, and dignitaries and the revered of society would be invited to. There are parties that are going to happen in Louisville tonight that none of us will ever be invited to. We don't have enough money and we don't have enough power. We don't have enough influence. We will never go to those parties. And this is that kind of party. But wisdom says, I want the senseless. I want the simple to come. Wisdom, we say. Thank you so much for the invitation to come to your party. And wisdom says, you're very welcome. I invited all the simple and senseless people to come. You know, if you pause and think about the invitation, you might be offended, right? We might not want an invitation to wisdom's house because that would be to admit that we are not as sensible, that we are not as smart, and that we are not as put together as we might think we are. Of course, we're not, if we're honest, but that's hard to admit. And the kind of pride that would be offended by being called simple is the kind of pride that lands you in Folly's house next door. And we'll see that in a minute. So the call then is to, to come to Wisdom's house, to, to come to her party, to eat the bread that, and the meat that she has prepared, to drink the wine that she has mixed, to learn from her. And as with any party, if you are a, a good invited guest, you say to Wisdom, well, what can we bring? That's what you always ask, right? If someone's, you're going over to someone's house, you say, oh, is there something that I can, can bring along? Can I bring anything? And the host might say, well, why don't you, you know, you bring a dessert or some fruit or a salad. I always say a dessert, you know, that's what I would like you to bring. What would wisdom have us bring? What does she want us to bring along? She tells us in verse 6. And it's not that she wants us to actually bring anything. Rather, she wants us to leave some things behind. She says... Leave your simple ways. She tells us that we can only come through her door if we will leave our foolish and simple ways behind. In fact, it could mean not just that we would leave our simple ways behind, but that also we would leave the company of simpletons. We would leave the fools that we hang out with. We have to leave not just our simple ways, but we have to also leave the people that would drag us across the street to hang out with folly. We find this in this that the invitation to wisdom's party is to all people, but that the door to come into wisdom's house is narrow. You can't carry anything in with you. In my mind, it's sort of the, a door where you have to turn sideways and squeeze through. I'm always carrying boxes and things to the basement, and sometimes I turn sideways and I just make it through with my box. This is a door you can't make it through holding anything. We have a, a large green couch in our garage the the cushions are in the basement uh they're used for fort building right now but the frame is occupying one of the two parking spots that we have um we bought that couch uh we bought some we bought some new couches after 14 years of of using those couches and our plan was to take the old ones to the basement uh jake can attest that we squeezed the love seat through the basement door just barely it was a beautiful fit um, but there is no way that the full-size one is ever going to get down there. No hope whatsoever, <laughs> unless we chop it in half, and even then it would be difficult. It won't fit through the doorway. Walking through the doorway into Wisdom's house means that we have to leave things behind. We have to leave everything behind. We have to leave our simple ways because we can't get through the door holding them. To come into Wisdom's house means dropping everything 
except for our need. Growing in godliness and righteousness, we've said this so many times, is always this combination of putting things off and putting things on. We must put off simple, foolish, sinful ways and companions and instead listen to wisdom. And if we will leave these things behind, then wisdom promises us, you see there in verse 6, it promises us life. Leave your simple ways and live and promises us a life of insight. Walk in the way of insight. As I was thinking about this, I thought entering wisdom's house is like entering the kingdom of God. It's like becoming a child of God. To enter God's kingdom, to become his child through faith in the gospel is the purest wisdom in the world. And the way that we enter God's family is the same way that we have to enter wisdom's house. The way of following Christ is the narrow way. You can take anything you want down the broad way that leads to destruction. You can take anything. You can take all the large green couches of pride and folly that are sitting in your garages. They will all fit down the broad and narrow way. Feel free to take them. But the only way to get down the narrow path that leads to life is through the bent knee of repentance and empty hands of faith. Leaving our simple ways, that's what repentance is. A turning from sin and a trusting in Christ. Gospel wisdom sees the cross and the world calls it foolishness. But eyes of faith say, this is what real wisdom is. And we willingly say, not only am I not bringing anything, but even if I wanted to bring something, I don't have anything to bring. I don't have any wisdom. I don't have any righteousness on my own. I don't have any riches. And so we come to Christ and we seek his righteousness. We come with our unrighteousness and ask him for his righteousness. We come in our sin and we ask for the forgiveness that he has purchased through his death. We come with faith. Of course, faith is not something we hold to. Faith is actually admitting that we have nothing to hold to and that we're trusting in him alone. We saw Isaiah 55, and now we've seen Proverbs 9. Jesus, long after this chapter was written, wrote another, or spoke some other words that were very similar to what we read here in Matthew 22 and elsewhere in the Gospels. And he talks about a wedding feast that a king invited many people to come to. Maybe you thought about that as we were reading this chapter. It was a wedding for his son. And all those who were invited were the elite in society. And they rejected the invitation. They came up with excuses not to come. So the king sends the invitation to the poor and to the rejected of society. He sends his messengers out to find as many of them as they can. And they want to come because they realize what they are being invited to. This is the way of true wisdom, the way that true wisdom always begins. It begins with humble hearts and empty hands, with repentance and faith. Wisdom calls those who know they are simple to join the feast. Isaiah calls those to come and drink because we have nothing. John the Baptist calls people who he says are vipers. He tells them to repent and to follow Christ. Jesus calls those of us who know we are sinners to come to him as the Savior, to walk down the narrow path that leads to life. This is wisdom's house. This is also the house that Christ calls us into. It's a house that we come to in humility and in faith. 
Of course, just because we have come to Christ in faith, just because we've entered wisdom's house with humble hearts and empty hands, doesn't mean that we sometimes don't find ourselves over at Folly's place. Think about Folly's house with me. We'll look at verses 13 through 18. We've considered wisdom's house. Look at Folly's house, Folly's gathering, Folly's party. Folly's house is anything but peaceful. Folly is loud. She is seductive. And we're told that she knows absolutely nothing. We see her. She sits down outside the door of her house. She has no one to send out to invite others in, so she just sits there at the doorway. And everyone who passes by, she says, come on in here, everybody. And her goal is to distract everyone who's on the right path, to capture prey like some sort of a spider. If you look, she's done nothing to prepare her house. She's just sitting outside of it. And she calls people to come. She has no table set. She has no meat. She has no wine to give her guests. In verse 17, what does she have? Water and bread. It's probably moldy bread. Everything she has is stolen. She, in fact, she can't prepare anything for her guests because she has absolutely nothing to offer. Folly is flat, broke. Her cupboards are bare. Her table is totally empty. But what she lacks in food, she makes up for in the volume of her voice and the crassness of her speech. She draws fools in because she's loud. And she says what no one else will say. She says all the forbidden things. And those who are curious to know about the things that have been prohibited slow down and kind of try to peek into her door. She entices us all with the allure of the forbidden. She entices us with the lie that, that God is is holding out on us. That there's something good in the things that God has called foolish. We all suffer from what my sister once called the the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. And folly taps into that fear and, and traps us. We think we're missing something. That God is not giving it to us. But folly's invitation is like an infomercial. Quality products sell themselves because they're quality and they work well. But infomercials are for products that you have to be convinced to purchase late at night when you should have been asleep. They are cheap things that you don't need. Uh, They are laden with shipping and handling charges that you somehow miss in the advertisement. And as you lie there on your couch in a half-awake stupor, someone is shouting at you that these knives are great And that if you buy this, you can set it and forget it, and your meat will look just like this. And so we pick up the phone, and we call, and we order things. The voice of folly is is all around us. It's in the media, it's in magazines, it's in foolish friends, it's in co-workers, it's in our own sinful hearts. And like wisdom, folly is targeting the simple. It's the exact same verse. If you look at verse 16 And verse 4, they are exactly the same. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says. Folly is calling for the simple as well, but she is not honest. She tempts us with, with stolen water and secret bread. She reminds us of, if you've read the first part of Proverbs, she reminds us of this adulterer who lures the adulteress who lures people in with her promises that no one will ever know what happens inside my house. There will be no consequences. 
We can do and say and be and try whatever we want, and there is no fear of judgment. Paul reminds us of the the friends in chapter 1 who think that hidden thievery is the place that happiness is found. Paul reminds us of Satan. Satan who told Eve that what was forbidden was better than what was given. That the one tree that God had said no to had something that all the other trees didn't have. And we hear that. Now we want to take a bite. We turn our back on wisdom when we walk through Folly's front door. You can see her front door. It's beautiful. There's a beautiful facade on the front and the door is is very appealing. It's nice and wide. You don't have to turn sideways like you do to get into wisdom's door. This door swings wide open. It looks just like the kind of party that we've always wanted to go to. It's what our, our flesh has been crying out for. And so we, we go in, we step across the threshold, and we're ready to smell all the, the sweet, the savory feast that Folly has promised. What's Folly's party look like? Verse 18, he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. We step across the threshold and we don't smell a sweet and savory feast. We smell rotting flesh. I think that's what Solomon wants us to smell when we walk into Folly's house. We see this table. It's a big table and there is absolutely nothing on it. And it's surrounded with with guests and they are all rotting corpses. That's Folly's house. Looks so good on the outside but it's death on the inside. Here's the image. Two parties. Two tables. Two outcomes. I think the illustration is the application for Solomon. I started trying to come up with all the... I had a a really nice list of things. But I don't think that's the point. I think what Solomon wants us to do is to, to see and to hear and to smell and to taste what these parties are like. As we walk, I think that he wants us to sort of hold these pictures in our mind as we walk through life. Because every street is this street. Every street has these two options on it. Every day of our lives, we are walking through life and we hear the voice of wisdom and we hear the voice of folly and we have to remember what their houses are like. And Solomon is telling us, and God through Solomon is telling us, don't follow folly don't go in that house whatever it looks like on the outside don't go in there rather listen to the life-giving voice of wisdom wisdom wants to direct the simple folly just wants to distract and destroy them wisdom stands in the light folly hides in the dark wisdom leads to life folly just leads to death Do you see the houses? Do do you see these tables? Can you smell the scent of their home? Do you see where they lead? Choose wisdom. How can we find ourselves at wisdom's party? How can we discern her voice? Two quick thoughts from verses 7 to 12 that I think are right there in the middle that teach us how to get into wisdom's house and stay there. The first is this, humbly listen to instruction and reproof. 
Humbly listen to instruction and reproof. Humility is key. Proverbs over and over again shows us the difference between the wise and the foolish, and it does it here again in verses 7 through 9. These verses are split right down the middle. The first, it talks about the fools. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Fools reject wisdom and grow more and more foolish. When corrected or reproved, they just get angry. That's a fool. Second half of verse 8. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The wise receive reproof. They listen to instruction and they welcome teaching. They have become wise because they have recognized humbly that they are simple. And the more they come to know, the more they realize that they don't know anything. And so they gain more and more wisdom because they are always ready to learn and always ready to grow. They seek out wisdom and reproof. Do you want to live in wisdom's house of blessing and feasting? It begins with humility, with admitting your need, with leaving everything at the doorway. Otherwise, you will be, verse 7 and the first part of verse 8, you will be an angry fool who is constantly injured by life. Out of humility, the wise seek wisdom. The wise say, I don't get it. I don't know how to live life. I need wisdom. And where do they seek it? They seek it in God's word. They seek it in, that's where we find wisdom, right? This is, this is wisdom's house. To open God's word is to open the door to wisdom's house. In the scriptures, there are no infomercials. There is no false advertising. We find simple undiluted truth for simple people like us this is a feast it's it's laid out for us it's not stolen water it's living water it's not dry bread it's the bread of life it god's words are sweet as honey they nourish our soul that's not always easy to swallow though is it i mean i admit that at times for me too god's word it it feels a little dry i struggle to know what the wisdom that is there I found uh, that uh, a helpful quote in this book. It's called The Imperfect Disciple. I bought it if only because the subtitle is so good and hits me. Grace for people who can't get their act together. And that that speaks to me. (laughs) Um, Reading it with a few guys here in the church. And it it says here, um, Jared Wilson writes, In Psalm 119, 103, David writes, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. This is the testimony of someone who has come to thrive on God's word, who has come to taste it and found it tastes really, really good. I know that many times Bible study can taste like a stale rice cake. This is not because the Bible is not delicious, but because our palate isn't developed enough to discover how delicious it is. But once we acquire the taste, we can't get enough of it. It creates more demand for what it supplies. The more we dwell in Scripture, developing a greater taste and feel for it, the less sweet and less comforting the things of the world will taste and feel. Do you want to be wise in 2018 and beyond? Then take up God's Word and feast on its wisdom. 
Counteract the folly that fills our ears and our lives by seeking the truth of Scripture. Tomorrow is January 1st. What a great day to commit or recommit to reading the Scriptures on a daily basis. You know, I prepared for this special occasion. I've got four different reading plans for you right here. I've got one that's nice and simple. If you just want to read through the New Testament, this is six months and you can read through the New Testament. If you've never had a a practice of reading through Scripture, this may be the easiest way to do it. It's about one chapter a day and you can read through the whole New Testament in six months. If you want to join me, I'm going to try this one. This is reading through the Bible in one year. It's roughly uh, three to four chapters a day. takes you through the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you are feeling ambitious, Robert Murray McShane will take you through the Old Testament once, Psalms twice, and the New Testament twice. Maybe Romans twice. Does it, it's good. It's a, it's a tough one, but it's good. And if you want to know how the whole thing fits together, this is a chronological one that will link up Psalms that David wrote with the time that he wrote them. So, And there's more. And there's apps that are not paper like this. Maybe I'm way behind the times by offering you paper. I don't know. I like paper ones. But this is wisdom. We're fools if we don't open it. If we don't walk through the door of Scripture on a daily basis, in many ways we are walking into Folly's house because that's all we're hearing all day long. The radio is not reading Scripture to you on most stations. The, your, your friends are not going to encourage you in these ways. We have to seek it out. We have to go to wisdom's house. And wisdom's house is here. The wise seek wisdom in God's word. They also seek wisdom from others. They seek it through true friendships. Remember, we've talked about this. People who speak the truth in love. Friends who care for us and know us and will tell us what we need to hear. Friends who offer wise and godly counsel. The kind of friend that we talked about. The wise seek wisdom from God's people. The church is a place of wisdom. It's a place where we come to hear what is right and true. Yes, from this pulpit, but also maybe more often from each other on Sundays, but also throughout the week. We want to listen to others. When we gather together, we set one another on the path to wisdom. We remind each other of what is true. We remind one another of of the wonderful home that wisdom invites us to. And we remind one another of the death that folly will bring. We look into God's word, we look to his people, and when we do that, we are seeking Jesus, who is the living word, who is the source of all true wisdom. We seek wisdom in the scriptures, we seek wisdom in the church, and in all of that, we're seeking wisdom in Christ. If we find ourselves in wisdom's house, if we we want to find ourselves in wisdom's house, then we will humbly listen to instruction and reproof from God's word and from God's people. Second, and, and finally, and briefly, verse 10 reminds us that those who would want to reside in wisdom's house must cultivate a fear of the Lord. We must cultivate a fear of the Lord. This is the beginning and the end of wisdom. This is where we began in October, and it's where we end now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We said back in October that if I fear the Lord, then I revere and respect God as the one who is truly wise. I recognize that I am not wise, but that God is the one who is. 
And if I fear the Lord, I recognize my need for his wisdom. I need him to instruct me. This is the posture of the child of God. And God in Christ is wisdom. Like Lady Wisdom, Christ offers all people wisdom if we will leave our simple ways. It's open to everyone, the gospel is. The hope of forgiveness, the hope of life everlasting, the hope of, of life with meaning even now. It's open to everyone. If we will leave our simple ways, if we will bow before the Father, if we will bow to Him and fall in faith on Christ, then He will clothe us with His wisdom and with His righteousness. He will give us life now and he will give us eternal life for all time. It's how we enter into God's kingdom, and it's how we continue to walk in that way, repentance and faith. Don't be a fool. That's the way to death. There's a sober reminder, I think, in verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. If you fail to seek God's wisdom, you have no one to blame but yourself. And if you are wise, then you have no one but God to thank for revealing his true wisdom to you. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's word. And then I will pray and we will sing of our need. But let's take a moment of silence together. Lord God, your word says that your word is a hammer that breaks up our stony hearts. So do that work and reveal the foolishness that's in us. Lord, we also know that your word is a balm, that it's honey, that it's, it's sweetness to us, it's life-giving. Give us life through your word. Thank you that we see this all in Christ. We are not those that worship the Bible. We are those that worship Jesus. So we come to the Bible because we find Him there and we see how to follow Him. Lord, help us to come to Your Word every day. Not out of some sort of means of earning salvation or earning favor but because we want to walk in your ways, we want to walk in the way of wisdom. We don't want to follow the path of folly. Lord, I pray for Grace Fellowship Church. I pray that through these words that each of us would would be would have a reunited zeal to to seek wisdom through the scriptures and even a, a reunited zeal to to seek wisdom with one another, to do this in community. Lord, that we would pick up a reading plan, but that we would pick up reading plans to read together and that we would share with one another and that we would encourage one another. Lord, let us be those that reside the majority, the vast majority of our days in the house of wisdom this year and throughout our lives. Lord, we can only do that by your grace. You are the only one that has opened the door for us. And so we come with empty hands. We come with humble hearts. We bow our knee to you and ask God that you would teach us, you would make us 
the people that we are not, that you would give us wisdom. Humble us, Lord. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. From the book of Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen.